Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Our mission is to reach, teach, and baptize throughout the world, beginning in our community, fulfilling the Great Commission by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. That simply means we're here to reach irreligious people and turn them into lifelong devoted followers of Jesus, equip them for a place of service in the church, and send them out on a mission for Christ in the world. We're glad you're with us today. I command blessings on you and your family today. discussion at some point during the week about these matters about one the purpose of why am I on earth 
Last time we talked about we were formed for God's family. We need to talk about those things. We need to think about those things. You can never really express the love that God has for you and want to manifest through you if you don't understand that he intended for you to be here. You're not here just because it's Sunday morning. You decided that you show up at the church. Now, God made you to worship. He made you to show up. He made you to want to praise him. Sometimes you're nobody around you. you. You just find yourself singing. You find yourself praying. You find yourself lifting up your hands. You just do it. You do it instinctively because it's in you. And nobody should have to make you. It shouldn't be on the count of three. We're going to go this way. Pray with me before I get going now. Because I'm already there. Thank you, Father, for this privilege of worship. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather. Thank you for every song that has already been sang, every scripture that's been read, every prayer that's been uttered. Thank you for every person that's here physically and those who are tuning in. Whatever ways we join together, we are part of your family. And we thank you for including us. We pray now that you would lift again your human out of self as we come to this moment of sharing the word. That you would speak it to us, speak it to us so clear, so deep. Give us the clarity and understanding that we need. Bless now the words that are in our mouth and the meditation that are on our heart. It may be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We ask it now in the name of your son Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going back again to 1 Timothy chapter 3 where we left last week. Last week we looked at verses 14 through 16. We said verse 14 was a transitional verse. And we looked more or less and drew out of chapter verse 15 last time. We're going to focus on verse 16 this time. But just so that you can follow the train of thought, we let, let's read again verses 15 and 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 15 and 16. So if you will, verse 15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles or the nations believed on in the world and received up into glory. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
This morning I want to talk about you were created to be like Christ. You were created. God didn't waste his, his motion. He didn't waste his mud. He made you to be come like Christ. Now, how many know that means there's a ways that I got to go? Because I'm not there yet. It also means I'm under construction. And I wear a non-apologetic sign that says under construction. But the goal in life, the goal or one of the purposes in my life is for me to ultimately conform into the image and likeness of Christ. Amen. And, and that means at some point, I have to stop being so much like myself and start being more like Christ. That, that, that means that some of my ways that I know are not right and some of my attitudes and some of my mindsets and some of my thought processes need to change. Is that correct? But now, let me, let me, let me help you understand. If I, I, I recently took up golf about a year or so ago. I started playing because I needed something else to do. Another way to enjoy myself. Another way to relax when I just didn't have to have a crowd to do it. And, and it was very humbling the first time I got out there. I was a good athlete. Played ball, various sports and all of that. But when you start trying to hit that little ball, <laughs> it, 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 it becomes a horse of another color. And, 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 and so I started looking at some videos of Tiger Woods. And I said to myself, I want to be like Tiger Woods. I realized right away <laughs> there's a big difference. I hit the ball, it go just a few feet. <laughs> Tiger hit it, it go 400 yards. <laughs> but, but my point is, is this. You, if you're going to emulate or imitate someone, you at first need to know who they are and what they do. And the clearer you come to understand who they are and what they do, then you start looking at how they went about it. And you begin to try to mimic some of the behaviors that you were able to discover. Well, God has a unique way of helping us to become Christ-like. Part of it, he does himself. And part of it, we have a responsibility for. God never does for you what you can do. And he does for you what you can't do. But he does expect you to do your part. 
and, 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 and so Paul here, the writer, was, was trying to help his young son, his young associate minister, his son in the ministry, Timotheus, to understand this whole notion of church. Paul had been in the city of Ephesus for a number of years. He actually, matter of fact, he spent three years there. And in the process of spending three years there, he founded a church. Ephesus was a pagan town. It was, it was a big city. It was major commerce and a lot of good stuff was going on. But Ephesus had a, a, a worship practice of uh, this thing that fell out of the sky that was ugly. looked like a, a, a combination of a cow and, and a bear. And they called it Diana. It was an idol god. And they built this big, beautiful temple there, and the people there worshiped. One time, according to the, to the gospel, to, to the book of Acts, Acts 19, when Paul was there and preaching, and, and the people there began to receive the gospel, they came and they threw their magic books down. They burned their magic books. They quit practicing witchcraft. By the way, that's needed today. And a lot of different changes were taking place. And, and, and some of the merchants in that city, a man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith, got upset because Paul was preaching and people stopped buying those little silver figurines of Diana and start worshiping, trying to be Christ-like God. And, and, and that was disturbing. And, and after Paul had had success, reasonable success there in the three-year period of time, it was time for him to move on. So he went on. And, and as soon as he left, the, the trouble started in the city at the church at Ephesus. It began to deteriorate. Wicked men began to take over the leadership of church. And, and all kinds of stuff was going on. False doctrine was being taught. Crazy stuff. The church was out of order. Folk were jumping up and speaking and the other folk were fussing. And just all kinds of things were happening in the church. So Paul left his son, sent his son Timothy there. He said, Timothy, what I want you to do, I want you to help get this church back in order. And, and, and in order for you to know what the order needs to be, he said, I'm, I'm going to give you some guidelines. So he was writing this letter. Now, many theologians believe that this was near the end of Paul's life. It wasn't the last letter. The last letter was 2 Timothy. And it all depends on, on whether you believe Paul was put in prison and then released from prison and then put back in prison a second time, which is what most theologians believe. So they believe that 1 Timothy was written after Paul was released from prison the first time. So it was an interim period of time. And he's telling Timothy, I really want to come there. I really want to come back to Ephesus. But in the meanwhile, so that you would know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. 
I'm dropping these nuggets here. First, he talks about, look, man, he, he, you know, the women in the church, they, they, they're out of order. They need to study in silence. Now, that was a cultural challenge for that day. But that wasn't the only problem. That wasn't really the major problem. The major problem was people in leadership who were not qualified to be church leaders. So he, he, he described if a man wants to be a deacon, if a man wants to be a bishop, if a man wants to be a preacher, then he ought to be qualified. And he lays out the qualifications for that. And then he goes on to talk a little bit more about church order. But then what I love about the passage, and it's what I was lifting out last week, was that he lays down what I think is a mission statement. He says the church of the living God is the pillar and ground, which means the pillar and the foundation of the truth. The church is the custodians of the truth, the truth about who? The truth about God. And, and now he says in what I want to look at in verse 16, he describes the message that the church needs to carry. And the message is about Jesus. And what the implication is, is you, if you're going to emulate him, if you're going to imitate him, if you're going to be like him, you need to know who he is and what he did. And, and that's my word for you this morning. If you're going to, if you're going to do like Tiger, you at least need to know what he does. Don't go out in the tennis court talking about you Tiger Woods. You're in the wrong sport. Are you following that? So you at least need to know who Jesus is. If you're going to tell people, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus, and my life is dedicated to him, you at least need to know who he is. And you at least need to know what he did so that you can understand how you're supposed to behave. Right? That's the message for the morning. So let's, let, let's look. Last time we, we drew out some statements, some, some behaviors for church people if we're going to at least be the upholder, if we're going to be the pillar and ground of the truth, then we at least need to hear the truth, right? We need to memorize the truth. We need to meditate on the truth. We need to study the truth. We need to obey the truth. We, we need to defend the truth. We need to live the truth, and we need to proclaim the truth. That's what we talked about last time. Now, let's look at the message this time, what he says, who Jesus is. First, first and foremost, look at verse 16. He says, and without controversy, uh, that is, it is agreed upon by Christian people everywhere that there are some things we don't have to argue about. And, and look, look what he does. He says, Great is the mystery of godliness. Now, now, what is that statement all about? First, that statement comes directly out of the behavior of the Ephesian people where Paul has Timothy. 
when Paul was there back in the day, when Paul was preaching and Demetrius stirred up the folk, the people in Ephesus came all out in the street and for two solid hours, they hollered out, great is Diana, the God of the Ephesians. Great is Diana, the God of the Ephesians. And they went out and they hollered that for two hours. They worked themselves up in a frenzy, hollering, great is Diana, the God of the Ephesians. And Paul is telling Timothy, the Christian church need to have its own slogan. The church of Jesus need to have its own cry. And the cry of the church ought to be, great is the secret of godliness. And, and he is saying, it's a universal understanding. We know the secret. The secret to being godlike is to understand who Jesus is. You cannot be godlike, Christ-like if you don't know him. And if you don't know who he is and what he is about. So the secret that we need to release into the world is great is the secret of godliness. We need to tell people in our family, great is, when you see them cutting up, you need to say great is the secret of godliness. If you learn how to be godly, you wouldn't have to act like that. And God knows we need to tell that to children today. We need to tell that to political leaders today. Great is the secret. It is not how you block votes and how you stack up votes. The secret to being a different kind of person is learning the secret of godliness. Learning who Jesus is. And learning how to live like him. Uh, that's our part to learn that. It's God's part to reveal that. And God did it through Jesus. Look, come on right there in verse 50, 16. Look at what he says. Not only do we agree that the mystery or the secret of godliness, he said this, God was manifest in the flesh. He's not talking about God who who has always existed. He's talking about Jesus. But he's also saying at the same time that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And he says Jesus was manifest in the flesh. Now let's, 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 let's talk about that for a minute. Jesus always existed just like God has always existed. But he existed in an invisible form. He was not see, seeable. He was not visible. There are many passages in the Old Testament that demonstrates the appearance of Jesus in his before Bethlehem experience. One of those times is in the Old Testament book of Joshua. When Joshua and the children of Israel were getting ready to cross the Jordan to go into the promised land, Joshua went down by the, the Jordan River to try to take a look at Jericho to see what it looked like. And he saw a man that was dressed like a soldier. And Joshua asked him, are you for us or are you for them? 
And the soldier said, no, neither. I am the captain of the Lord's army. That was one of those pre-Bethlehem appearances of Jesus before he showed up at the, on the straw in Bethlehem. Are you following that? There are many other cases, and if you look carefully in the Old Testament, whenever you see the angel of the Lord, not an angel, but the angel of the Lord, is usually a description of one of those pre-Bethlehem appearances of Jesus. Now, uh, Paul writes later, he's invisible, he's immortal, he's the mighty God, and he's describing Jesus. Jesus has always existed. Uh, John, the writer, the gospel writer, said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Then in the 14th verse of that same first chapter, he said, and the word became flesh. And we beheld him, we saw him, we eyeballed him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, so, so Paul is telling Timothy that Jesus was manifested in the flesh. That he, he, didn't, he wasn't created. He always existed. And sometimes people have bad theology and they think that Jesus just showed up when Mary uh, had him in her womb. As if God did something to Mary that shouldn't have been done. Now, God is a spirit. Mary was a human. So it wasn't no getting together. That God is creator. He makes everything. And he can do what he want to do like he want to do it, when he want to do it, with whatever he want to do it with. So when he decided to put a seed in Mary, it wasn't the natural way that a man puts a seed in a woman. God, as creator, uniquely decided how he wanted that to be. Are you following that? So, so Jesus was, 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 was made manifest. God put him in flesh so that he could rip, rip the mask off and let people see who he is. So he manifested in, in, in flesh. That's what the first said, right? All right, so he's always existed. He is God, all right? And then he was justified in the spirit. Now, what does what that mean? It, it means that Jesus was made right the, the, the person Jesus, once he takes on flesh, he was in his flesh human, but in his spirit, he was always God. I know that might mess with people, but he was 100% of what I call a 200% man. He was 100% God because of the divine nature that he had. But he was 100% human because he came through a human vessel. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because Mary carried him in her womb, he was a human. He came out of the birth canal just like a human. 
He walked the dusty plains of Palestine just like a human. He hurt just like a human. He hungered just like a human. He understood what it was like to be lied on just like a human. He understood what it was like to be betrayed just like a human. He understood what it was like to be killed just like a human. But that wasn't what made him right with God. What made him right with God was the spirit that was in him. And I want you to understand, you hurt, you lie, you do things, but that's not what make you right with God. What makes you right with God is the stuff on the inside. It's called the spirit of God. And when you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, God transforms your behavior. He changes you from just being a natural fleshly human to being now a twofold kind of person. Not only are you a human in flesh, but you are now a spirit walking human. You got the spirit of God in you. And when the spirit of God is in you, it makes you walk right. It makes you talk right. It makes you act right. It helps you when you want to do wrong. God comes around you and helps you to understand. Now, you know, that's not how I want you to behave. So, again, the, the cry, the secret of godliness the mystery of godliness, how do we become godly, is to understand who Jesus is and then to allow us to want to emulate him. If Jesus had the spirit of God living in him, guess what you need? Living in you. If you don't have the spirit of God living in you, you are none of his. And if you don't have the spirit of God living in you, there is no transforming power on the inside to cause you to be different than who you are in the natural. Okay? So he was, he was manifested in the flesh. Yep, man, that is his, his, his divine nature. How do you see it? When he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses, well, well he went up with Peter, James, and John near the end of Jesus' life. And he was transfigured. That is, his human flesh was, was removed temporarily. And they saw his divine nature. And Peter was so shocked. Peter said, Lord, it's just good for us to be here. He said, let's make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. And, this, and the word of God, God overshadowed them and said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Because God wanted people to know that's who we need to emulate. All right, so he was manifest in the flesh. That is, he was revealed. His divine nature was revealed in the physical person named Jesus. He was uh, justified, made right with his behavior, with his conduct. He was made right with God by the spirit that was in him. Now, how you know he was made right? Because when he went to the cross and he died. See, if he had been a sinner with sins that needed to be forgiven, that would have been no savior for him. 
And so he would have remained in the grave because he would have then died for his own sin. But God justified him, declared him right by raising him from the grave, demonstrating that God didn't have no issues with him. Are you following that? The third thing in the text, it says, he was seen by angels. Now, that doesn't just physically mean, it can mean that he was eyeballed by angels. They saw him in his divinity before he left heaven. Angels attended to him and announced his birth. You do know the Christmas story, don't you? That it, was, that it was in the sixth year that God sent Gabriel to announce to Mary she was going to be pregnant. And then that same angel was sent to Joseph that said, don't be afraid to marry this girl because this thing, this pregnancy that she is experiencing is of God. Okay, this same angel went to uh, Elizabeth and told her the same thing. Then an angel showed up in the Judean hillside to tell the shepherd boys, under you is born this day a who what? Savior who is Christ the Lord. All right. During Jesus' earthly ministry, when he got to the end of his life, he went into the garden of Gethsemane and he fell on his knees and he prayed, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And it got so heavy in the garden that after three times of prayer, angels came to minister to him. And he told Pilate just before he went to the cross, listen, Pilate said, you know who I am. I have power to take your life. Jesus said, you ain't got no power over me. He said, if I wanted to, I could ask my father for legions of angels. And angels would immediately come in my feet. So he was seen by angels. That is, he was attended to. They watched over his life. They watched over him in his birth. They watched over him in his trials. They watched over him in his death. And even in his resurrection Easter morning, it was the angels that rolled the stone away. And when the women got a chance to look in the tomb, they looked and they saw two men in shining apparel sitting there and said, we know who you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, but he's not here. He has risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And then the last day of his life when he was going up into heaven, uh, the disciples were looking up in heaven and the two men in white apparel again Angels said, this same Jesus that you see going up into heaven is coming back again in like manner. So he was attended by angels. Now, if you're going to be Christ-like, you need to know that God has already assigned angels. Mama and them used to say it like this all night, all day. What? Angels, keep watch over me. Man, anybody ever had an angel work on you? 
Anybody ever had one show up and rescue you? You ever been in a situation where you couldn't get yourself out of and all of a sudden you got delivered and you know you didn't do the delivering? He was seen by angels. And if you're going to be Christ-like, if you're going to be like Jesus, then you need to know that you got divine help. That's good news. I don't know what makes, I don't know what would make you shout, but that makes me shout to know that I got divine help. And see, that's why in songwriters, all of my help <laughs> come from the Lord. God knows what I need, and he knows when I need it. And he sends it just like he did to Jesus. So let's look at the message that the church is to proclaim. The church is to claim that this Jesus, this God man, was manifested in the flesh. He was made visible in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was made right by what was in him. And he was seen by angels. But look at what else it says in this one pregnant verse. It says he was preached unto the Gentiles. That is to the nation. He, 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 was, he was proclaimed. Listen. On the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, you know, you remember that, right? This was 50 days after he was raised from the dead. 40 days he walked around the earth proving that he was alive, showing his hands and his sides to his disciples so that they could be convinced that this was the same Jesus, their old friend. But then he went back to heaven, and 10 days after he got back to heaven, which would have been the 50th day after the resurrection, he sent the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached Jesus. He didn't preach nobody else. He preached Jesus and the result of preaching Jesus to the Jewish people that were there, 3,000 people were saved and came into the church. And the Bible say after that, God added daily to the church. So by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, the church in Jerusalem had better than 25,000 new believers. They were all Jews. But then God said, wait a minute, I told you to go into all of the world. Start in Jerusalem, but now go to Samaria. And so Philip went down to Samaria. And Philip preached in Samaria. And there was a revival that broke out in Samaria. And now the half-breeds, as the Jews called them, were saved. Philip was dispatched down on the Gaza Strip. And he met a black man, an Ethiopian, coming out of Jerusalem. And he sat on the wagon with him and preached to him, baptized him, and sent him back into Africa, a Christian. Acts chapter 10, Peter was taking a nap up on the rooftop of a household in Joppa. And an official uh, sent for him and said, come down to my house. And Peter goes down to the house of Cornelius. And he preaches the gospel. And the Gentiles 
receive the gospel. Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus is converted to become Paul the apostle. Goes on three missionary journeys. Preach all over the Greek Gentile world. And thousands of people began to be saved. I don't know how you came about it, but I heard the gospel one day. And I'm a Gentile. The nations have been preached to. God has even used this young black man to go on several missionary journeys into known Gentile worlds. Went into China and the Chinese received the gospel. Went into Africa and the darkened sons of the continent of Africa received the gospel. Went into India and the people there received the gospel. So he was preached unto the nations, unto the Gentiles. And that's the message of the church. When the church began to preach Jesus, then men's lives will change. When parents begin to preach Jesus, children will begin to behave. When schools begin to preach Jesus, then behaviors will begin to change. When the church begin to preach Jesus in the community, the communities will change. When the gospel is preached in the White House, the White House will change. When the gospel is preached in the State House, the state house will change. We will create it to be like Christ. But people cannot be like him when they don't hear about him. When they don't know who he is. When they don't know what he has done and where he is and how to access him. I want you to understand Look at this statement. Manifest in the flesh. That is, he was revealed. He was justified in the spirit by what was in him. He was seen, attended to, supported by divine support angels. He was preached to, preached to the Gentiles so that salvation could come to people. And he was believed on in the world. Now, you want your life changed? You want to be like Christ? Then you got to believe what he says. Can I talk about it? I know I don't have but a few minutes. I just want to just drop one or two. Listen, I have come. This is his words. That you might have life and might have it what? more abundantly you're around here living like you living on crumbs when the Lord has already said you can have abundant life I, 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 don't, I don't know what you're expecting for Christmas maybe you're looking for Santa but I'm looking for Jesus I, I, want, I want the abundant life I don't want the dribbles that are left over I want all that he came to give I want my life to be filled to the overflowing. I want to go out with my head erect. I'd like to deserve all men's respect. But here in the struggle for fame and health, I want to be able to like myself. But I can't like myself if I'm emulating somebody else. I can only like me when I'm walking Christ-like. 
I can like me when I'm talking like he talked. I, I, I can like myself when I'm doing what he says do. What did he say do? He said, love your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. You don't have to worry about getting back at somebody else. All you have to do is trust him and depend on him. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. You don't have to worry about what you're going to put on. Aren't you more than a bird? If he feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field, won't he take care of you? Is there anybody here this morning that know that he will do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? You don't have to worry about getting back at nobody. He'll make your enemies. The footstool. But you got to believe on him. And if you believe on him and believe in him and believe what he has said, then a Christ-likeness comes. Look, in, in, in the study, it talks about God uses the Holy Spirit, yes. He uses the Bible, but God uses your circumstances too. And it's in your circumstance that you come to know that God will do what God says he will do. See, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he's a problem solver. If I had never been sick, I wouldn't know that he was a healer. If I would never been broke, I wouldn't know that he's a way maker. But because I've had trials, tribulations, difficulties, then I know that he's all right. I got to tell you one more thing and I'm going to let you out. One more phrase that's in the text. Not only is he believed on in the world, but when he finished everything that he had to do, he was received up into glory. <laughs> you, 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 you don't have to worry about how it's going to all play out. When you walked on the earth and you've done the best you done, can do. Oh, when you have given the best of your service, telling the world that the Savior has come, don't be dismayed. When men don't believe you, he'll understand all about it. And he'll say, well done. When Jesus had finished his earthly work, when he went to Golgotha's hill, after having been lied on and accused falsely, they marched him out to a hill called Calvary. He dropped his head in the locks of his shoulders, and he died. But the old Baptist preacher said they took him off the cross, and he cut a hole in the back of the tomb, went down in hell and ran a revival, came up the third day, and said, now all power in heaven and earth is in my hand. Forty days later, the old song, Swing Low, Sweet Cherry, coming for to carry me home. A cloud received him, and he disappeared out of their sight. And the angel said, this same Jesus that you see going in like manner is coming back again. I want somebody here to know today that you can be all right. God has made you. God has created you. That the same benefits that he laid on Jesus, 
he got stored up for you. And when you've done all that you can do, then God will receive you up in glory in the same way that he received Jesus in glory. So you can be Christ-like. You can be different than you are. Yep, my golf game might not ever come around. I don't know if I'll ever measure all the way up, but at least it's my goal. It's the direction and the bend of my life to be Christ-like, to be like Jesus in my talk, to be like Jesus in my walk, to be like Jesus in my lifestyle. And not for me only, but for you also, my brothers, and you, my sisters. And wherever you are today, if you're hearing this word, if you're sitting, standing, wherever you may be, you can pray right where you are. You can say, God, forgive me. Help me to become the man, the woman, the body girl that you want me to be. I want Jesus to live in my heart. I want your spirit to live in me. I want to behave and live in a Christ-like way. And to the best of my ability, I trust you and ask you to give me the guidance. Friend, if you prayed like this, your life changed in here. It changed right here today, right where you sit. You may not have felt no willies, but God heard your prayer and God came into your heart. Now it's time to make that decision public. And so we're going to give you that opportunity as we open down the doors of the church. And anytime during the singing of the song, while the choir sing, give God your heart. Give one of these your hand. And let's begin to walk and move toward Christ's likeness. Doors of the church open. Doors open. Come on, sing, choir. Doors open.
sisters, it is a serious mandate to understand that one of the purposes that God has made us is to be like Christ. And we have to know who he is and what he has done in order for us to emulate him. Hey friends, this is Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And I know by now you know about this new book that we have released. Not only have we released it, the book is here. And it's an excellent read, not just because I wrote it, but because of the content and what it conveys. It tells the story of where marriage comes from. Marriage comes from God. And I need us to know that. And if you are in love and are considering this particular path for your life, the content of this book will help you along the way. Not only do we talk about where marriage comes from, we talk about keys to compatibility, what's necessary to be effective in marriage. I have a little acronym in the book, it's called CUT, C-U-T, Communication, Understanding, Trust. That becomes the basic formula that's necessary for any marriage to be successful. Not only do we talk about those things and the keys to compatibility, we also talk about staying in love. Once you're in love, we certainly want to remain in love. And some may wonder, well, what if I married the wrong person? We even deal with that as well. So this is a great opportunity for you to make sure that you're in line with what God's will is for your life. God bless you. Please follow the prompts on the screen that you may know how to get your personal copy of this book. Friends, this is Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. We really appreciate all of the love and support that you have shown to us through these broadcasts. We've been hearing from people and our friends all over, and we want you to pray about being a supporter and a prayer partner and a supporter of this television ministry. If you believe the Holy Spirit has ministered the Word of God to you and you'd like to see this ministry continue and to share it with your friends, please consider being a supporter. Follow the prompts on the screen. We would love to hear from you.